Good morning, everybody. My name is Lindsay, and I am the student pastor here at Center, and I'm so excited to be able to share God's Word with you today, and even more excited because this is one of our last Sundays where we are solely gathering for church online, and soon we'll be able to start gathering in person as well as online, and that is very exciting to me. And as I've been entering uh, post-quarantine, learning to what it is to be with people again and, and have face-to-face -face conversations, a lot of what we've been talking about and a lot of what our conversations have been centered on is what have you been doing over the last three and a half months? What have you been up to? What are some things that you've been learning or doing? Some people have been sharing that they've started a garden or they've learned to bake bread or they've simply found joy in spending more time with their families. Uh, what I've been saying and what John would probably say as well is we've really started to run more consistently and that's purely so that we can be outside, especially when we were on super, super quarantine lockdown and we didn't have the opportunity to really leave our house. Any chance to be outside and move just made us feel so much better. We're in the middle of a challenge right now uh, that John found online and we are running a mile a day every day from Memorial Day to the 4th of July. So we're almost done with it, but every day, all 40 days in between those two holidays, we are running at least one mile, which has proven to be much more difficult than I anticipated it would be. But it's had me, you know, increasing my mental strength, obviously physical strength, and it's had me thinking a lot about the work it takes to put in running one mile. And it's made me think about the first time I did that, or at least the first time I tried to do that. I remember the first time I tried to run a mile so clearly in my head. I was a freshman in high school and it was a Wednesday morning. Jim was first period, of course, so inconvenient for the rest of your day. And we were coming over the hill um, from our school to our track. It was a fitness test that we had to do. We had this series of fitness tests like sit-ups and pull-ups and um, you know push-ups, all those different strength tests and we were at the mile that day so we're coming over the hill i'd never done it before in my life and i'm looking at the track clearly had never been on track before either because i looked at my gym teacher mr hisner who was much taller than me and i said mr hisner is that track two miles long and he said no it's a quarter mile long and you need to run around it four times in order to complete this assignment. Good luck. He must have had some sort of premonition or the fact that I thought it was two miles long tipped him off to the fact that I had no idea what I was doing. Because for the next 30 minutes, the remainder of the class, I struggled to get through this and I didn't even finish it. It got to the end of the gym period and I still hadn't finished it and I didn't get a good grade on my fitness test of a mile, the whole time my legs were burning, my heart was burning, I was sweating, I was, I was frustrated that I couldn't complete this and some of my peers had run around it in you know nine or 10 minutes and, and been done with it. And above the physical frustration, the physical pain, I was angry. I was angry that I had been, been expected to do this thing that I was not prepared to do. I was angry that I couldn't do it. I was angry that I was being told to do it and that I was being forced to do it. And I, I left 
feeling really, just really deeply angry about that whole experience. And we'll come back to that in a second. I want to put a pin in that and come back to it in a little bit. Um, but I want to also share that we're in week three of our series, Into the Wild. We've talked about celebration and we've talked about fasting. We're going to talk about two more practices that Israel, the people of God, engaged in in order to remember God well. And this week we're talking about tithing. Now, I don't normally do a disclaimer on messages. I've not heard many pastors do this, but I feel like it needs to be done for this message because as soon as I said the word tithing, some of you reached for your remote and started to slowly turn me down until eventually I was not making any noise. <laughs> because some of us have had some weird experiences with tithing sermons and some of us have some misunderstandings about what tithing is and we think that any tithing sermon is going to be a sales pitch or it's going to be an attempt for me to guilt you into giving the church more money so that we can increase our budget and use it for who knows what. I promise you that is not my intent and that has never been the intent of God to make you feel guilty about giving your money away to the church. My intent today is to share the scripture, to share what God says in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and then for us to decide as individuals and as a church how we will move forward with the truth of God's word now that it's been presented to us this morning. And I promise you, if you tune in and open your heart and listen, that God will share something with you that will change your life for the better. So, definition of tithing. Super important because we can't talk about something if we don't know what we're talking about. I love this definition that Pastor Brian shared with me last week when we were processing tithing and, and processing what it really is. And I think I want to work, or I know, I want to work off of this definition for the remainder of our time together. So tithing, Pastor Brian says, is the spiritual discipline of returning the first 10% of my income back to God. I'll say it again. Tithing is the spiritual discipline of returning the first 10% of my income back to God. The first passage that I want to look at today that talks about tithing is really our foundation for today is a passage found in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to talk about a time where Israel is wandering through the desert. They've left Egypt and they're going to the promised land. And in the in-between, God gives them a series of laws for them to follow so that when they get to the promised land, they'll have structure and a way to set up and create this new life in this land that God has promised them. So Deuteronomy 26 verses 1 through 10 is where we're going to start, but we're going to start by reading verses 1 through 4. And it says this, when you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. So in this passage, we're going to see three different steps that God gives Israel in order to tithe and to tithe well. First step that we find in verses one and two here is to collect the first fruits 
It says collect the first fruits and put them in the basket, in a basket. Now, there's a lot in the Bible that is confusing. There's a lot that takes a little bit more digging in order to understand. This is not one of those things. <laughs> first fruits, exactly what it sounds like. The agricultural first like reaping of the crop that Israel has taken in this new land. Once they get to the land and they plant and things grow and it's time for them to reap what they've sown, they're going to take them, those things, put them in the basket and bring them to the temple. Very, very simple, very straightforward, very easy for us to understand. The second step that we see in verses three and four is they're going to take it to the temple and then they're going to give them to the priest and the priest is going to lay them down at the altar of God. So two simple steps. Take the food and the first fruits that you've created and bring them to the altar of the Lord and put it at the altar. Then we see the third step in verses 5 through 10. And this is the most important one. It says this, Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean. And he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So... The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the best part. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow before him. Step one collect the first fruits and put them in a basket. Step two, go to the temple and give the basket to the priest. Step three is to remember. For Israel, the discipline of tithing helped them remember the goodness of God and how he brought them into the promised land. It wasn't just about this law for them. It wasn't just about a duty that they had to complete. It was a process and it was an act and a discipline of remembering what God had done for them. Because here's the truth that must have been certain for Israel is that there's hundreds of years in between when they leave Egypt to when they arrive to the promised land. Generations are born and raised and pass away before they get to where they're supposed to be going. I would imagine that what happened in Egypt slowly started to become less and less of a present memory for people the further they get into the desert and the closer they get to the promised land. I can guarantee you that that was true because that's true for me when I leave my house to go on a long road trip for 11 hours, not hundreds of years. When John and I go visit my family, it's about 10 and a half to 11 hours to get to New Jersey. We're going to be doing that trip coming up here very soon. And if you've done a long road trip, you totally understand this too. When you pull out of your driveway and you're taking some of those, you know, turns to get onto the highway before you're set for a couple hours, you, what's running through my head is everything that has to do with what I've just left. 
Did I blow out candles? Did I lock every door? Did I remember everything? Did I pack my toothbrush? If you have kids, you might be thinking, do I have all of my children in the back of the car right now? All of those things associated with what you've left are very prevalent and present in your mind. But slowly as you get into the road trip and slowly as you get further away from what you've left, that starts to gray out a little bit and you start to turn your mind to what's to come. And slowly we start to think, what's waiting for me when I get to my destination? For me, what will I do with my family this weekend? What food will we eat? What will we talk about? What are the memories that we're going to make? And the things that were behind me slowly start to fade away. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but what God is saying here is don't forget what I did for you, Israel. Don't forget that the reason you're in this promised land is because I sent plagues to Egypt so that Pharaoh would let you go. Don't forget that the reason why you're here is because I parted the Red Sea so you could walk through it. Don't forget that I caused manna and hail to rain down from heaven so that you could have exactly what you needed for that day. Don't forget that I made water gush out of a rock in the middle of the desert because you were thirsty. Tithing is Israel's way of remembering what God has done for them and what he's continuing to do by giving them this promised land. And for some of us, that's exactly what we need in order to be able to tithe well. We need to go through that practice of remembering what God has done for us, remembering how he healed us or healed a family member from a sickness that we never thought would be able to go out of our bodies, remembering that he brought us out of some really mentally and spiritually dark places in our minds, remembering that he restored a relationship with a family member or a friend that we thought could not be repaired. Remembering those moments is how Israel honored God well through their tithing. But you might be wondering, okay, Israel, people thousands of years ago, did this, it's good for them, but I go to church every week and I, you know, I'm a part of a small group or I serve. I remember God, so why do I need to tithe? Jesus says a lot about that in the New Testament. So I want to take a look at what Jesus says, not only to show that Jesus is a part of this Old Testament truth and part of this Old Testament practice, but he's also a part of how we tithe today and what that has to do with our relationship with Jesus. In the Bible, in the New Testament, Jesus has a lot of conversations about money, whether they're directly tied to this practice of tithing. Jesus talks about money a lot. And one of the places that I want to highlight is a passage in Matthew where Jesus is talking to the religious leaders and he's not very happy with them. What else is new? He's always, Jesus is always pushing the boundaries and the status quo of what's happening in the temple at the time. And he's raising the spiritual bar of how to remember. And so he says to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. The more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So the Pharisees are tithing, which Jesus says is important here, but he also says that they're forgetting the more important matters of the law. 
Well, if they're tithing, if they're giving their money, which is what was instilled in the law in the Old Testament, isn't that enough? Isn't that doing what we're supposed to be doing? Why does Jesus say that it's just as important to practice the other three, mercy, justice, and faithfulness? Well, let's take a look at one more passage in the New Testament, and I think we'll figure it out. Matthew chapter 6. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus is talking, he's doing the Sermon on the Mount, which is an incredible passage for us as believers to be familiar with as Jesus is teaching it. So let's read a little bit of that in 19 to 21, verses 19 to 21. And this is what is so important for us. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, the problem with what the Pharisees were doing is that they were doing only part of what the Old Testament law required. They were doing parts one and two. They were collecting their first fruits, they were putting it in the basket, and they were putting it in front of the priests, and then they were walking away. And they forgot that third step, the most critical step of remembering. What Jesus says here is so important because what he's saying is in that act of remembering, we learn that our hearts and our money are so deeply connected because what we value is what we invest in. Jesus is not nearly as concerned about the money that we give as he is about our heart behind it. The Pharisees were doing lawfully what they were supposed to be doing, but they were doing it in the wrong way. They were doing it because they needed to fulfill a duty to check something off of a to-do list rather than doing it out of a heart of love, a heart that overflows with the justice and the mercy and the faithfulness of God. Even even further on in the book of Matthew, Jesus is talking to what we know as the religious ruler, or the young rich ruler, rather. And he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus was just focused on money. If he was just focused on increasing the church budget, what he'd say to this rich man is, in order to inherit eternal life, you need to go down to Chase Bank and you need to set up a direct deposit so that 10% of your massive check goes to the church budget and then I can get an increase. That's what Jesus would have said if he was focused on the law, if he was just focused on the money. But Jesus is not just focused on the money. Jesus is focused on the heart. And so what Jesus says to the rich young ruler is you need to give up everything that you have in order to follow me. When it's a matter of the heart, it's not just about 10%, it's about 100%. It's about loving God with everything we have and tithing, giving our first fruits to God is an act of love and an act of obedience as we say to God, I remember what you've done for me and I want to give this to you as an act of remembrance. See, when we tithe well, we remember well. And we rem when we remember well, we love well. Israel's tithe helped them to remember God. Jesus is less concerned about what we're giving and how we're giving it and more concerned about the state of our heart. So in the beginning, I talked about this mile that I ran and the absolute pain that it was to me and how angry I was to do it. 
2006 is when that happened. Well, in 2017, I ran my first marathon, which is 26 miles. And I remember very vividly when I was on that track in 2006 saying, I will never do this again. So what changed from 2006 to 2017? My heart. I went from feeling like I had to do it because someone was telling me to, to wanting to do it and loving doing it and doing it out of an overflow of a desire to do it. It became less about being forced and more about the overflow of my heart. I understood why it was important for me, why running was important for me. I practiced, didn't get it perfect, but I practiced until it became a habit. And then I saw the benefits of it over time and slowly but surely worked my way up to doing something that I never thought was possible. Now, here's the truth. Some of us are still stuck in 2006 Lindsay mindset. We're angry that we've been told to tithe. We feel forced. We feel like God is taking something from us. And we have yet to experience the transformation that happens when we go from steps one and two of just doing it because we're being told to do it. And step three of loving God and doing so as an act of remembrance. You see, the law says we never have enough to start tithing in the first place. That there's never enough at the end of the month to be able to tithe. But love says we give first. We give before anything else. It's the first thing that we have at the top of our budget. And then we're smart and responsible with the rest of our finances to make it work throughout the rest of the month. The law makes us feel angry, like God is taking something from us. But love, oof, love helps us recognize how God has given us every capability to even be able to make money in the first place. That's a hard one because we might think we're the ones that are making the sale. We're the ones that are driving across the country to make this money. We're the ones who are wiping tables and filling up cups of water and spilling and, and cleaning up kids' macaroni and trees off of the floor when we're serving tables. No one understands that one better, <laughs> better than I do. But we forget that God is the one who gave us the capability to do that in the first place. The gifts the spiritual gifts that he's given us, the mental capacity, the physical capacity, the ability to drive, the ability to do all of those things so that we can make money to give back to him. The law makes us constantly compare ourselves to what others have and how tithing holds us back. Love gives us perspective of what is truly important and how we really do have more than enough. Some of you are hearing this concept of tithing and this idea and this biblical background for it for the first time. And so your mind is just like, had no idea. And you're just still kind of trying to wrap your head around it. That's awesome. Some of you have tried, but you failed. And you might fall into one of those three different law versus love mentalities. You've, you've tithed, but you haven't loved. You've stops tithing and that's caused you to become angry in some capacity and some of you are just ready to start some of you are ready to jump in and make it happen and start to see how god can be faithful to you i challenge you to three things number one to examine your perspective where do you fall on this line of tithing 
Are you somebody who's got baggage when it comes to this? Are you somebody who has been burned? Are you somebody who has never heard about it before and you're excited and ready to go for it? Number two, I encourage you to practice it. I encourage you to begin this process of remembering God through tithing, remembering his goodness to you, remembering his faithfulness to you and how he has shown himself to you. And number three, I encourage you to pray for open eyes to experience the benefits of it in your own life. It might not be that God is going to give you back 10 times the amount that you gave. It probably won't be that. It'd be cool if it was, but it might not be that. But what I encourage you to do is open your eyes to see how God has provided for you in so many other ways that giving 10% out of the overflow of your heart is just a natural step in an act of thanksgiving to God. I could tell you so many stories of how God and I have seen, how John and I have seen God's faithfulness over the last couple of years, over the last six and a half years as we've practiced tithing as our income has climbed and declined and climbed and declined as we've moved around and been obedient to what God has had for us. We've consistently been able to tithe. We've consistently chosen to tithe. And we've seen how God has provided for us in so many ways beyond just financial, so many ways because of the overflow of our faithfulness to him has shown his faithfulness even more to us. And I'm excited for the potential that you can have to be able to do the same thing, to be able to examine your heart, to be able to begin this practice and to see what God does as you begin this journey of remembering him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for how good you are to us. Thank you for the way that you show yourself faithful in so many ways. Thank you for bringing Israel out of bondage and into freedom and into the promised land and how that helps us so many years later, know how to give well and to tithe well and to love well. We love you and we ask that the words that were spoken today out of your word would fall and would be beneficial for all those who hear them. We love you and we ask this in your name. Amen.